taking an idea and turning it into a product is so hard. It is so hard. You know, I think for me, executing on an idea and actually being able to see it come to life on the screen and solve a problem, that's rewarding, you know, for me. Um, I mean, obviously, it'll be really good to know if we can make money and have a low churn rate and build a business out of it. But, you know, so far, just being able to accomplish what we have accomplished, you know, I, I you know, feel good about that so far. This is Brandon White. I'm the co-founder and president of FileFinder. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Brandon White created the platform for you to search in one place for all your cloud-based files. All this and more on Code Story. Brandon White started his career from his passion for fishing. In doing so, he wound up building the largest social networking and e-commerce site for sport fishermen. He got to travel around the world, fish all over, and do some amazing things with this company. But honestly, he got burned out on the sport and doesn't fish much anymore. He tells people today to be careful when people are following their passion, because romanticizing a career doesn't always work out for everyone. And just because people aren't overly passionate about something, but are good at it, they should go after it anyway, to help them buy their time for their passions. The genesis of his current venture started with his wife, who manages a family office. At one point, she was switching accountants, which required the transfer of a massive amount of documents, the bulk of which was an email. He thought that there had to be a better way to find these documents across accounts in the cloud. This is the creation story of FileFinder. So FileFinder is effectively a search engine that helps you find files you know you have but can't find faster. And, you know, this has been a problem, (laughs) a challenge in technology for decades. And the genesis of it, candidly, is that my wife manages a family office and As it turns out, she's done it for almost two decades now. As it turns out, uh, you rotate, I'm going to use that word lovingly, you rotate lawyers, accountants, uh, financial advisors, uh, money managers, every three to seven years, maybe, maybe five, I'm I'm estimating here from, from living with Yvette and watching her uh we've been together for uh, 25 years and she was switching accountants and when you switch accountants you basically have to transfer every document that's ever been involved in multi you know in managing a family office you're managing all sorts of things you're managing the money you're managing multiple companies you're managing uh, multiple real estate assets you know, in some cases you're managing jets and hangers and all these things. Well, all of those things have paperwork behind them. And as a human, you start to organize those things or you tell yourself you're going to organize that these things. And you start out with 
a really robust amount of energy and say, I'm going to put everything in this folder, I'm going to put this in this folder, and this in this folder, and then uh, you start to coordinate with other people in your office, and that doesn't seem to start to work because humans file things differently, uh, unless you've sat down and done it on a whiteboard and been really strict about it, which I don't care how good you are, rarely happens. Um, and then emails start flying, and then you start a Slack channel, and then you have a text message, and, and the list goes on here. And she was struggling. And most of her stuff is in email. And just finding the files in the email was was taking her, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, days. Because if you can't find something, you have to remember who sent it to you. And then you have to sort by that person. Then you have to sort by the attachment. And then you have the attachment in the email. And then you have to start clicking. And I'm sitting there watching her struggle. And I had started a company that is still in business, but didn't work out initially in our initial target market um, called Zeus, which was an automated CRM that could organize things without you doing anything. And then we went into the government, um, which was a really interesting experience. But coming back to this idea, I had been thinking about search for a long time. And I finally said, you know, I'm sitting there watching her struggle. I was like, this is, and this may be, I uh, know is five years ago. I'm, I'm estimating um, maybe it's three. You lose track of time. But um, I was like, this is just absurd. We're, we are, you know, decades into modern technology and we still can't find things we know we have faster. We're still struggling. And I broke it down and she's like, if you could build something like, let's build, she said, let's build something like that. And I started chasing that idea. And it, as it turns out, humans can't use Boolean search. And the reason humans can't use Boolean search is because you can't, as a human, most human, let's just put a, put aside the one, two or 3% of the people in this world that are off the chart, 10 standard deviations from the norm and throw them out and just agree that for the most part, humans can't remember enough about something to put it in a Boolean search algorithm to find it. You, you can't, you keep searching. It's, I mean, even Google itself, it's good. And it's certainly better than it was back in the day, but I'm not sure that it's any better than searching in a, uh, a SQL database. I mean, you know, with some sort of, I don't know, whatever you put on top of it, solar or something else in there that, that helps you find these effectively keywords and, and, or string of keywords. And most humans don't even know how to use the Boolean search as it relates to using quotes and and or, or things like that. It's just my mom doesn't, you know, you know, the, the average human doesn't know how to do that. It's not a dig on them. It's just like, how many things can you know? You buy a new car now and it'll take you five years to figure that out. Um, so I have a background in psychology. Uh, I have a master's in psych and I've done some work at, uh, with BJ Fogg from Stanford's Persuasive Computing Lab. And what, it, what I've come to realize is that as a tech nerd, you build things that you think can work and help humans, but humans actually may behave differently and think differently. So what I realized was is that humans don't can't use Boolean search because they can't remember. But what can you remember? 
And what you do remember is people, places, time, topics, and groups. So why can't we just search by that? Because effectively that's how search happens in e-commerce. I mean, from the day that I started e-commerce in 1996, we were putting a navigation panel on the left-hand side. We were categorizing things from the high level and then down. Clothes, men's, women's, men's or women's, shirts, pants, underwear, outerwear, uh, accessories. That, that's how it's done, but Boolean search doesn't work that way. So, but what if you could organize data that way? So that's what we set out to do at File Finder. And it's, if, if you and I are having coffee in uh, Palo Alto off of Sand Hill Road at the Starbucks there, but I can't remember your name and I can't remember your company, but I can remember the location, then you can find it. If I can't remember the location, but I can remember your company, but not your name, you can still find it. If I can only remember your company, I can still find it. And that's what we've done. Tell me about the MVP. Tell me about that first product you built, how long it took you to build, and what sort of tools you used to bring it to life. So the first product, I actually drew it on a piece of paper. Then I used Balsamic, I think it's called. I, uh, you, can, you can draw it, take a picture of it, and then link it. I did that to basically get an idea, like how would this flow, how would this work? Would people be interested in it? From there, I actually, I designed the, the front end and the flow. I designed the architecture, but I didn't code it myself. I have some friends in Argentina and I paid them to build a very, very simple, um, I say simple, you know, it was built on a SQL database. Uh, we were using SQL search, believe it or not. It was more hacked on the front end for the design to accomplish, the, the front end UI to accomplish what it needed to accomplish and then just doing calls that we were hard coding into that code. And uh, I ran it by, took that thing and it was, you know, the challenge with this, Noah, is that security is of the utmost importance because the files in this case that you're pulling out of whatever you're pulling them out of, let's say email in this, you know, are, can be confidential. And if that thing gets hacked, you're in big trouble and your company's probably over. So uh, I did release it to a small group of friends on social media that I knew and I personally reached out to. I kept track of them. There was probably uh, looking at that Excel spreadsheet or Google Sheet, it was probably 75 or 100 people, no more than that. And I basically just did the interviews and said, hey, you know, try this. I told him it was not completely secure, but it sat on our servers. It wasn't quote unquote certified by Google because uh, we were integrating with Google Gmail. And um, that's where we went. And then once I felt like there was a need, I mean, I don't think it takes that much validation to figure out that people still can't find their stuff. Um, but I still wanted to validate, validated it. And even though I had done a few companies, I wanted some structure. So I went through this, the free Y Combinator program with the idea that I was going to get into a flow, get, get into a basically homework assignment every week 
and I was going to find a, a CTO co-founder, uh, mainly because I can't code that well anymore. It's been a long time. I shouldn't be coding really. Um, and I'm more the architect. It's not that I don't understand it. It's just that, you know, it's not what I do every single day and that's what we needed. So I was really grateful to find a co-founder here in the Bay Area who um, he said, now you, you, you can imagine, I mean, as a tech person, I know this and I'm sure you know this and the listeners know that, you know, you get hit up by a million quote unquote business people who have the great ideas, not a ton of background in tech and they want you to build it. And so I understood from being in that seat and uh, Sergey said, he's like, send it to me. I was like, okay. So I sent it to him. I said, look, it's not secure, but download it and try to find some stuff. And he found things that he didn't even realize he still had. And he's like, yeah, let's do this. So we had, we met, we had not met to that point. We met for coffee down in San Francisco. And we then, one thing I've learned, and I know this isn't necessarily pertinent more on the business side, but you got to have a discussion about ownership from day one. Um, biggest, one of the biggest mistakes I've made in my career along the way was not having that discussion and then having to have the discussion later. And it was pretty simple. Like he and I were on the same page. We agreed with everything. He, Sergey's super smart and has been studying startups, has worked in some startups. So he got it. And we, once we got past that, He's like, we got to rewrite this entire thing. So we recruited a few friends. We paid some people and, and we've got it to a point now where we need to get the, um, authentication from Google. So Google now requires, which I think is smart. And it keeps away a lot of the noise. If you're going to touch Gmail or drive or any of the personal assets, you have to have a third party security audit. And, um, I think it's SOC two or SOC one, but and, it, and it's, you know, it's not expensive in the realm of life and startups, um, but it can run you fifteen to $25,000. And that's really where we are today. And I, I think we're struggling, I don't think, we're struggling with how that's going to happen, whether we're going to pay for it, do we want to raise money? There's always this inclination, like, especially living in the Valley, everybody's like, raise money, raise money. And I've raised money. And I think raising money is good for companies when they're ready to raise money. Um, but I've also learned that absolutely nothing happens as fast as you planned. If you raise money too fast, investors, and, and rightly so, are on a timeline. Especially if you raise, you know, angel investors are going to be a little bit more forgiving. But, you know, if you raise money from a venture fund, they, they need to be in and out in seven years. Their fund's 10 years, depending on where you are. You know, I'm saying this as a lovingly as a, a former VC, you've got to understand their perspective. So when you take their money and there are a few firms here in the Valley and around the country that are understanding on a longer term basis, but for the most part, you know, they're racing against their IRR. So I think right now we're, we've, we've talked about crowdfunding and doing things like that. We've talked about just putting up the money ourselves and then, um, I think the one thing that we all realize who are involved now is that once we do that security audit, like it's time to go because we have to do that audit every year. 
And I think we need to make sure that we have the time to uh, jump into this thing, not you know, as much as possible to say, hey, we're gonna get it out there. The good news is, is that along the way, Sergey has been, and a few other guys have been, and women have been working on totally redoing the code, uh, getting it fortified. It'll pass the audit now. And I've been working on the marketing where, you know, we have over 15,000 people on an email list that we can sell this thing to. And uh, I think that's just as important as the code on the business side is actually having built up an audience that you can get it out the door. Because if you don't get it out the door fast enough with enough traction, you know, people are going to get discouraged, including yourself. And you don't want to quit because you're discouraged when the product could still be good and still be solving a big problem. You just haven't gotten there. So after that point, you've got the MVP, you are moving forward, you're making decisions. How did you progress the product from there and, and mature it? And I think I, what, you know, way I want to frame that question is, you know, how did you build your roadmap and decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build for a file finder? That's a really great question. And I think a piece that people overlook in that Sergey is absolutely diligent on. And he has forced us to actually get into, I think we use Draw.io or one of those programs, but we actually graph it. And we've graphed to say, here's our core premise. Me being uh, the expert of scope creep, it, you know, I'm like, well, we want Gmail, we want Drive, we want uh, 365, we want this, we want that. But he is awesome in saying, no, Brandon, we cannot do that. And, you know, that's what you need in a partner. And you also need that openness that, the other person doesn't get their feelings hurt or upset. And we've graphed, we literally have graphed and said, here's our core premise. Here's our first our first uh, step that we wanna take. We need to validate this, then we will go here and validate that. And we've done that, Noah, not only with high level concepts in the product, but all the way down to the features. So, you know, we will not go past, and we've really been diligent, and I, and I gotta say, having someone like that who can play that role and stay disciplined is what really drives you to success, in my opinion, over, you know, two decades of doing this. That, that's what will lead you to success because too many times you get, you'll get into a room and you'll say, you know, you'll fall in love with a feature and you haven't validated it. You don't even know if it's core. You, you know, if you're if you're building your stories and your sprints, you're sticking these things in there randomly, and they're they very well may be taking over, you know, that second story in your backlog that should have been in the current sprint. Well, so okay, so you talk about Sergey, right? And and I want to you know dig into a little bit of how you found him, but even more holistically, how did you build your team? And, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? I have like nine or 10 core things that I've always looked for over the years that I've built. Um, and, you know, they range from 
being willing to speak up and challenge anyone, but if their opinion or idea is not accepted to go along with the team without saying, I told you so. Um, there's this tolerance for risk that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an early, I hate to use the word startup. No, everybody uses that. I think it's overused. Um, you know, you're starting a company. It's a, it's a, and it's not even a company. I think people get screwed up on that. You know, you asked me when we started to do my title, like, I'm not going to use the word CEO. CEO would indicate that we have some executive team. Like maybe when you get to 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 million, you get to say that. But, you know, really, we're just at a project right now. Until this thing generates any sort of revenue, we're doing a fun project. Um, you know, if we can turn turn it into a business, then I, I think that would be awesome. But we were looking and we were looking for, you know, people who, I mean, this isn't the common thing, but I want to know who their partner is, their wife, their husband, lover, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. Um, I want to know where they are. And I know want to know what they think. Because in order to do this sort of thing, you are using the most valuable currency of time. And do they have kids? It's not good or bad. It's what is your relationship with your partner? Because, you know, Sometimes you may find yourself with teammates who absolutely love the idea and force a decision that they haven't cleared with their significant other. And then, you know, you wind up on Zoom calls or whatever you're on with somebody screaming in the background, they're stressed and, you know, it affects the whole team. So it's not good or bad. Uh, it's what is their current uh, status and a commitment on the amount of time. I think I made that mistake way too many times in the past. It's not, hey, do you think, Noah, you'll have time to work on this? And, and you say, yeah, I'm going to have time to work on this, Brandon. And then we then we move on. Well, my expectation is you're going to work on it 20 hours a week, 50 hours a week, whatever it is. Your expectation is, eh, I'm going to give it five hours. So, you know, we're, we're very specific. We, if you want to be a part of this team, we require... And you want to do it part-time, that's fine. Because uh, most things start as side hustles, at least in my experience in life. Then, you know, we want 20 hours a week. Does it mean we're going to keep track in T-sheets and Quicken for that? doesn't mean that, but it does mean that you better be honest about it. And, you know, it's not hard to see, especially when you're doing writing software, you know, how many commits are you making a week? I mean, it's hard to hide, right? Um... So we, Sergey and I were very upfront about those things. And, um, you know, curiosity is another thing, being curious, being open to ideas. And I have a list of other things, but these are sort of the, the core elements uh, that allow someone to get on the team, especially in the early stages and be successful. Um, the second part of your question, how I found Sergey, is I actually posted in the Y comp, there's uh, whatever it's called. It's the free Y Combinator program. They run continuously now. It's actually really good. Um, you know, you can get money somehow through that thing. That wasn't, it was more, it was more the, the structure that I liked, even, even from a guy who, you know, teaches how to write a business plan and pitch deck in 13 slides. It's one thing to be able to teach it all. It's one thing to know it all. It's another thing to have someone on the other side of the table saying, Hey, it's due on Thursday at, at nine o'clock. Um, 
it's good to have that external person. So I had posted on a forum, on that forum, and saying, hey, here's what I'm doing. I'm looking for a co-founder, which, you know, a tech co-founder, which is sort of, you don't really expect a lot. In, in that experience, though, there's a lot of people from tech, business, marketing, and everywhere that that are interacting in a genuine way. So it's not like you're hitting someone up out of the blue on LinkedIn or something like that. It, it People have opted in already. And the fact that you're getting someone who's opted into that program and committed, because you, you can sort of see their attendance because you have to do team meetings and things. Um, and Sergey's one of the people that answered me. And then, then we moved it over into, into uh, offline. I think we were doing an email. And then we had a Zoom call. And at the time, he actually joined that to find another project. He just, he had a, like a side project that he used as an excuse because you do have to have an idea to sign up. And he was there just because he wanted to find someone, you know, someone else to be, to be on a team with, with an idea that, that he liked. So, you know, I don't know, man, the stars align, Noah. Sometimes you just be grateful that you got to put yourself in those situations. Um, You're not a victim of the universe, but you know, you can, you put yourself in, in situations where good things can happen. And I think for both of us, it just, it just lined up, lined up and we hit it off. Well, let's flip to scalability then. So when you built this first product, did you build it to scale efficiently from day one or are you fighting this as you grow? No, it, it broke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, not, not even remotely close. Um, no, had a, got actually got hacked. Uh, luckily, no data because we hadn't put any data in it yet, but put it on Amazon Cloud, you know, doing it on the cheap. I'm doing DevOps, um, you know, and I'm good, but, you know, that would be a piece of advice. You got to have a good DevOps person, which we have now. But uh, no, it didn't scale. It was like sitting, it wasn't even built on Docker or Kubernetes. It was just sitting on a, on one server, the cheapest I could get. And it wasn't even, it was the cheapest we could sign up for because when we did do Y Combinator, we did get credits on Amazon and Google uh, Google Cloud. In fact, I think I put it on Google Cloud to start. And it's not, I'm, I'm not saying, obviously listeners out there be like, well, Brandon, Google Cloud scales. I, I know that. <laughs> but you got to configure it to scale and your database got to be configured, right? Yada, yada, yada. And none of it was, uh, I mean, some of that stuff, some of the code, Noah, was hard-coded, like, because I didn't care. Because if it didn't work or the idea sucked, I'd just throw it away and move on. Um, so absolutely not. Have we struggled on the rebuild? Absolutely. The good news is, is that Sergey and other guys on the team have built very, very, very large enterprise-level applications. I mean... Sergey worked at Ancestry.com doing DNA sequencing to figure out matches. I mean, if you've done that, you understand scaling. But I, 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 I wouldn't sugarcoat it, man. Um, you know, we had to rebuild the code from literally the ground up. Um, you know, it was written in PHP to start. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying, you know, for an enterprise-grade product that you're going to be dealing with, millions of attachments in, you know, and processing. Uh, one of the things for us, Noah, is processing. 
So I, I don't know, I looked at my email box this morning, I think I got 83,000 emails, mainly because my philosophy is I don't organize Jack, because if you have a good search thing, you can find it, plus it just takes so much time. But imagine processing my inbox and pulling all of those files out of there and organizing them. And processing, if you're, if you're gonna, you know, you're gonna read an image and process that image to either pull text or decide if that's a dog, a cat, car this is a huge amount of processing power um, so how do you build those processes in a way that's efficient and the other thing we're struggling with is and we, we we've started to actually get it is how do you deliver a customer experience meaning you know if I say hey Noah put this stuff into file finder and in three days we'll have your stuff you'll be like yeah, maybe, but then I got to re-engage you, right? And I got to get into your inbox to re-engage you or text you. And it's just so hard. So we've had to build this thing to scale to say, okay, we're going to give the customer, we're going to give the person an immediate, uh, immediate piece of data back. Whether that's, hey, Noah, you actually have 84,000 emails. You've got... Um, You've got 2,500 to Brandon, and of the 2,500, you have 52 attachments. And basically to get them engaged, like, oh, okay, like this thing, this thing's smart. I want to know what those are. So that's what we've had to really figure out is how to batch process this and how to do it economically on a per user basis where we're not losing money on every single user. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across what you've built with FileFinder, what are you most proud of? Uh, that we took an we took an idea and actually created a product. I mean that that's a. I don't know why I keep doing this. Sometimes, um, it, I mean, taking an idea and turning it into a product is so hard. Um, it is so hard, and you know, I think for me executing on an idea and actually being able to see it come to life on the screen and solve a problem that's rewarding you know for me um you know you know that's i'm 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 looking at things with the glass half full and being positive i mean obviously it'll be really good to know if we can make money and have a low churn rate and build a business out of it but you know, so far, just being able to accomplish what we have accomplished on really no money um, to speak of, you know, I, I, you know, feel good about that so far. Well, let's flip the script a little bit then. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I think the mistake we've made is not communicating enough. I know that might not be the answer you're looking for. I mean, there's like 5 million coding mistakes. <laughs> let's just, let's just, let's just agree with that. Um, but I think when we've hit this last roadblock, we probably haven't talked enough among the group to keep the momentum going. And I think that's where we've lost a little steam. And actually, you know, this recording is timely because I was just thinking uh, the other day, I was like, man, we got to get together in person again. And I think COVID, I think, you know, I don't want to blame COVID because we were remote anyway. Um, 
we all live generally in the Bay Area and can get to one another. But I think COVID definitely, we, we used to meet in person for dinner and things like that once a week or every two weeks. And then we, the battle rhythm sort of gotten three or four weeks. But, you know, that hasn't occurred. And I think that's hurt us in, in this, um, you know, in this goal. Well, what does the future look like for FileFinder, for the product, and for your team? Well, I think we're going to get the SOC audit with Google, and then we're going to release this thing to a whole bunch of people uh, on an email list we have, and we're going to see if they buy it. And, I mean, ultimately, we're going to see if it solves the problem we think we're solving. And if, if, if we solve that problem, and it's a big enough problem, and people are willing to pay us you know, a monthly fee or yearly, ultimately, is what we're going to charge. Um, and that, that's what's next. So it's, a, you know, in many ways, it's a little bit scary after you spend all this time to say, okay, boys and girls, time to put on your big boy pants and see if it's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, you know, can we change something um, or how, how can it work? Let's switch to you, Brandon. Who influences the way that you work? You know, a CEO, a CTO, an architect, really, really any person. Name a person you look up to and why. You know, I tend to look at Bruce Lee. And, and that may not be the obvious answer. <laughs> but um, he, he followed a lot of philosophies that drive actions that have, I don't want to say influenced, but certainly guided my life. Um, you know, absorb what is useful, discard what is not, add what is uniquely your own. I mean, I keep going down the list of things that, that he's, you know, his his philosophies. Um, be great at, you know, one, be the absolute best at one kick, not okay at a hundred. Um, I'm paraphrasing some things here, but, you know, be water, which is overused, but, you know, that's what we have to do when we're building products. Like, if you're not going to adapt and you're just going to, you know, have a hard water line and stay it there, then, you you know, I, I wish you the best, but the likelihood that, that you're going to have to change in a, in a journey like this is you know, you're going to have to change. <laughs> um, and if, you know, you don't, then you're really lucky. But I think, I think he just from a high level, um, I've written about him. I've done some articles in Entrepreneur Magazine and stuff like that. And I have a little Bruce Lee figure in my kitchen with him in his yellow jumpsuit. And, um, you know, it just, I don't, I don't, it just really reminds me to kick butt every day and follow those philosophies. So that's what I would say. Well, we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? You know, my inclination is to say, no, I wish I would have found a co-founder faster. Uh, but I don't know that that's the answer. I don't know that we would have gotten to the same spot. Like, I think that's because I felt like if I had help, I would have gotten there, you know, the product or the idea would have gotten there faster. But I don't know that that's true. What I found, so I'm, I'm answering by not answering maybe your question, but um, sometimes most most of what I've found is that 
sometimes you just have to put, you know, you got to make the dough, you got to stir it up, and you think you got a great cookie, and it's going to be absolutely incredible. But you got to put it in the oven and let it bake for a while. And then, you know, as as you bake the cookie, the ingredients come together, they merge, they change, and you know, sometimes you burn the cookies, and sometimes the cookie is spectacular. So I think while business owners, entrepreneurs, coders, um, anybody on that journey to build a business wants it to happen faster, I actually think the time it takes to do it is a good thing because there's never been, there's like a few stories we can mention, and that's great that have happened overnight, but you know, have they even happened overnight? They, they made money overnight, some, few, um, but, you know, most things just take a really long time. So I, I think I wish I would have, and, and maybe I still wish that, but I don't want to use that as an excuse that we would have been further faster. I just think it would have been a richer experience to have a co-founder early on. Well, last question, Brennan. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are. That's a loaded thing because in order to do that, you need to check your own ego. And that takes a lot of personal reflection and work to get there. But if you don't do that and you think you're the smartest person in the room and you want to be the smartest person in the room, you're going to have a lot of challenges because uh, you're going to you're not going to see your blind spots. And that's that's what's going to get you. Um, the other thing that I would add is. And I think this takes a lot. It's taken me. Um, I'm certainly, a, you know, been a pretty confident uh, type A um, stubborn person maybe in some ways in my life but the thing that you know everybody doesn't have to like you and you don't have to seek other people's approval there's 7.9 I think billion people on this planet the idea just think about it from a coding perspective the idea that every single 7.9 people 7.9 minus 1 you billion people on this earth are going to like you is ridiculous. And the fact that you're going to like them is even more ridiculous. Except that except that you're not going to like everybody. They're not going to like you. You don't have to get them to like you. What you do have to do is put your best self forward and do that. And just because you someone doesn't like you or you don't like them, it doesn't even preclude you from working together. You can work together. What you need to do is respect one another, and that's the difference. So uh, I'm just adding this little bonus one in because it builds on, you know, don't try to be the smartest person in the room. A lot of people want to be the smartest pe person in the room because they're insecure. And then their insecure insecurities, which everybody has at some level, drives them to want to be liked. And then they want to be liked, and then they, they chase this thing that, ultimately is just an unrealistic expectation. So that would be my advice. I don't know if they would have to have a drink after that or think I'm totally weird, but um, <laughs> that'd be it. That's great advice. 
Well, Brandon, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of File Finder. Thanks, Noah. I'm really grateful. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.